wake up, it's morning You're dreaming up a story I can hear The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy Lord light Pouring through your window And I'm happy, I know Good morning. I'm out at the Maplewood Commons to honestly enjoy the sound of the water. It's a little bit cool here in Sulphur right now. Got a little cold front coming through. The last few days have been really kind of rainy. That, uh, that wind flute that you heard was uh, a handmade wind flute that we acquired at the Cachada powwow this year. It's really small. It's about, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 inches. It's very simple. It's got five holes. The, the Native American man who made it uh, was really sweet to my son whenever he was picking it out. And I like the way it looks. I think I might like it a little more than my son does. I grabbed it this morning when I left when I left to uh, come out here and talk to you because I've been thinking a lot about the breath lately. The just to back up a little bit and why I've been thinking about that. I've, it's been kind of a wild week. This show has, Find the Good News, has kind of, I guess, been really growing. I don't know if that's the right word. It's just, uh, it has a, a lot more arms to it now, which is good. That's what the original intention was, was to create different avenues of communication. And uh, recently actually crossed over that first year threshold, you know, and I don't know why that's important to have a marker like that, but it does give you an opportunity to, to reflect on the past year and what's happened within that time span. And what I, I on reflection, I just almost couldn't believe all the conversations I've had. And, and the ones that are I'm looking ahead to. Uh, but this week I had conversations in a lot of different categories with a lot of different types of people. But one particular conversation I had just has been lingering in my mind. And I had, I had a conversation with Mary Vaughn. Mary Vaughn, her episode hasn't aired yet. And it will in a couple of weeks, a few weeks maybe. But we talked a lot about breathing um, as a part of a meditation practice, a calming practice, a mindfulness practice. You know, she she's made great uh, strides in implementing that in classrooms with children. And I think that's just incredible. I think it's amazing, actually. Uh, I know I've 
always been fond of my teachers that implemented peace and mindfulness in the classroom even though maybe those words weren't used but breathing is such a important part of that and I guess what I've been thinking about one on one hand is the simplicity of it and how it's taken for granted and how I take it for granted but the little wind flute wooden flute that my son has I don't know when I play it it's for me it's kind of like a meditation like I don't play it well I don't think there's a wrong way to play it perhaps the the flute maker had that in mind you know so that someone could just easily pick it up and enjoy it very quickly so I like to sit and play it and like to breathe through it and just string little notes together you can only make you know a handful with it but there's something relaxing about it and kind of cycles me up with my own breath so perhaps a little bit different than what Mary and I ended up talking about but in some uh, in some way it's similar but in Mary and I's conversation we, we talked about spirit and inspiration in spirit and how it's very easy to forget what those words actually mean you know when we look at where they come from we, we in a very literal sense understand that spirit is breath you know and even our even a lot of our religions and wisdom traditions of the world will say the same thing in fact we'll say exactly that but this week I've just uh, after talking to Mary and, and I guess I was having these thoughts before I talked to Mary uh, about the breath and, and and life and how breath really is life for us I got to thinking about some old memories I, I there was this article online about I think I might have shared it through my social feeds if you follow me you may have seen it too but uh, there was a veterinarian who had found a blue heron that had been shot up with a BB gun. Had I don't remember, just this crazy amount of BBs, pellets that they pulled out of it. And the bird ended up dying. And so the article really talked about just human cruelty and how, how we can be so careless with life and that story hit me because it just restimulated all these memories for me ever since I was a kid I have always been fascinated by the life and other things besides just human beings the life in plants the life in animals what is life where does it come from consciousness identity I mean I talk about all this stuff with my guests on the show so this shouldn't be new to anybody that you know follows find the good news but there was there are particular stories that just have been seared into my mind and honestly shaped my thinking and I'd like to share some of those this morning because the timing was just sort of auspicious, I think, to talk with Mary, considering what happened this week. I, many, many years ago, after I would say I had like a initial sort of spiritual awakening. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I'll use that for the purposes of what I'm talking about. There was a real strong sense that life was flowing all around me and around us and that I was sort of, I could begin to perceive at that time in my early 20s that there was just an interconnection. It wasn't something learned, it was something sensed. You know, and then as I began to try to understand that and, and did begin to learn. I, I realized there was sort of a, a really diverse and broad 
scope of language and teachings that that said that very thing and so that was new to me and um, once you discover something new in your adult life if you're contemplative and reflective you'll look back at your whole life and and sort of find moments where uh, of relativity where what you're learning applied and maybe you just didn't have the language or the knowledge to frame it. And I mean, you could do that many times in your life where you cycle back and reassess based on a new teaching or a new perspective. So I was kind of doing that in my 20s, uh, looking back on my life, but and, and I do it still today. But this week I was reflecting on these these key things that had happened that really are, are strangely defining for my for me and the way I, I tend to lean and look and I guess navigate life and failingly so most of the time but there's still an, an honest attempt but in my 20s I would go on these long country walks and uh I've always loved the sunrise. That should be no surprise to anybody that's sort of in my orbit. Nature and solitude it was always very refreshing for me to get away from um, human voices and just kind of be in the cycle of things to some degree, to feel like I was in the cycle of things. <laughs> like the sound of running water, which is why I'm here at the Maplewood Commons again. Because it is soothing. It's a different pattern. Um, anyway. I, uh, I... I was on one of these walks one morning. And... There was a... Uh, I was really far away from home. And there was a beautiful blue heron that had landed on the shoulder of the country road that I lived on. And I remember being so far away from it, and I've always been—I've always loved it when a bird would let you get close to it, so you could really see it up close, you know, and, and sort of experience its majesty, and sort of honestly breathe with it, you know, be within its vicinity and breathe its air. Which kind of gets into what—why Mary's conversation with me really brought back all these thoughts, and. And when I saw the bird land, I guess I was about a, a mile, three quarters of a mile away. I kind of sunk into what I'd call like a sacred space inside myself. And there was a little sense of elation that I was potentially going to get to get up close to this beautiful bird. And... Um, so... I just kept walking and had this high idea in my mind that I was just going to get as close as I could without driving it off and just stand there with it and stare at it and just sort of honestly sink into a mindful meditative state and appreciate it. Those things like that helped me appreciate being alive. Um... As I drew closer to the bird and, and got to where I could really start to see more details, it was it looked like it was fishing in in the ditch and kind of walking in and out of the ditch and then back up to the shoulder. But it was really almost looked like it was. I always compared those birds to uh, the herons to people doing tai chi because they would walk so meticulously and then strike in the water. So. As I begin to approach the, bro the bird, the blue heron, there's a, a vehicle coming from the opposite direction, a big truck and pickup truck on the opposite side of the road. And I was, I guess, too far away. Maybe even just, I got about a quarter of a mile, less than a quarter of a mile at this point. And I am not really thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm really still drawn into this creature. And, and excited to get closer, as I've said already. And 
I see the truck move over into my lane and you can hear the sound of the engine or I heard the sound of the engine I say you could hear because I'm bringing myself into that present moment the past and to the present <laughs> and so well let me just talk about it that way you know so I see the sun hitting this truck and I hear the, the revving of the engine and I see it get in the other lane and I see the truck coming closer and I immediately feel a tinge of uh, worry because I'm, I'm I'm worried that this truck is gonna that I'm gonna have to jump off the road because it's in my lane and I get this sick feeling because I realize this vehicle they're they're gonna they're trying to actually hit this bird and they do hit the bird and they knock it over like a bowling pin just knock this beautiful bird over into the ditch and drive back in their lane and pass me and I look and it's like time slows down I see the faces in the truck and it's two men and they're laughing and in that moment I guess and you can say what you want about it I think I had drawn my attention into this animal so deeply and anticipated this beauty and loving sort of synergy we were going to have and so when that that person hit that bird and then came by and added insult to injury with the laughter it I, I felt like a piece of me just was run over at that moment and so I ran I ran to you know the last little piece of that way hot summer day I ran over and the bird's swing is flapping, you know, it's struggling. It was alive still, but it was covered in blood. And so I laid there and I sat on the side of the road and I picked it up and held it in my arms. And uh, I looked in its big yellow eye and I could feel it breathing. And I sat with it. And while it died. And I felt its breath leave its body and I watched its eye dilate when its life ended. And in that moment, upon reflection, I was in that being's air. Um, I was in that being's breath when its life left. And there was this, to this day, uh, that said there's a... I still, oddly enough, of me making the past present in my mind, I still have a a strange bond with that memory. Not strange. I have a powerful bond with that memory and that creature's life force. I feel like, and I just wept there with this dead blue heron that day, and. It was like everything got sharpened into this mixture of emotions. I was angry at my, not just those two guys, I was angry at my creature. I was angry at what I was. I was angry at being human. Because... And that moment, it was like I was in the in the the midst or the midst of great love for creation and creatures, and then the very creature that I am, which is human, which is has the ability and the capacity for great love, is the very creature that was heartless and cruel that destroyed this creature's life. Um, I think about this a lot because I think people used to say I was a tender-hearted boy. <laughs> Orn's tender-hearted. And that was kind of it. And I still hear people say that about my, my children, even. Oh, they're tender-hearted. Oh, look, they're tender-hearted. If you cry about something... 
you have a feeling you're just tender-hearted and we kind of move on but I just want to I'm telling the story because there's so much more to it than that and I think I'd like to encourage people to not use the words tender-hearted as a speed bump in the road there's something else going on maybe if you're around a tender-hearted person maybe there's a lot more going on than you know you know I've tried to relay that story about that blue heron to different folks in the last 20 years and I've got a mixed bag of responses some of those responses are exactly what I just described some people don't understand why it matters to me at all and then some people do tend to get what I'm saying and maybe some of you do too maybe some of you have had that experience or maybe you experience it right now the preciousness and uniqueness and variety of life and this breath that we all share on this planet and it made me think a little bit about when I'm visiting with Mary this week or other guests that we're that I'm sharing their air at that table where I produce this show you know we're within each other's biosphere you know for this little bit of time and the, the rising and falling of our lungs but back to the, the sort of auspicious timing of that article and then talking to Mary uh, it also reminded me of another story that I've relayed uh, I need to tell you about this little leather bag that I have it's real small it's a, it's a medicine bag I've had for a very long time and what's inside of that are items uh, when I when something happens in my life and it and I can feel that it's important sense that it's a crux crucial I try to find an object related to that moment and I keep it in that put it in that bag uh, it's all kinds of strange things in there but there's one thing in there that is related to what I'm talking about today specifically there's a little sliver of wood a little no bigger than a dime about an eighth inch thick and it's got a date on it and the words written in a ballpoint pen that says dog died uh, I've had a lot of pets over the years and many of them all of them have passed away given up their breath and but this particular piece of wood I was probably 11 or 12 years old and my my dad uh, was building a video store business and so I spent a lot of time up in De Quincey uh, riding my bike around and one particular day there was this old sort of hungry dog that had been I could see him digging in trash cans over some days and then scraps he was living on scraps he, he didn't look healthy but one day when I was riding my bike he just sort of followed me I gave him I think some potato chips or something that I happened to have with me and he followed me the rest of the day I got this feeling that he was just you know he wanted more food that's why he was following me so I felt sorry for him so I I rode my bike over to this convenience store that was near my dad's shop and I, I had some money not much I mean my dad would give me a little money running around money to keep myself kind of occupied throughout the day while they worked and uh, I just was kind of desperate feeling I'm not gonna lie I really felt sorry for this animal when he would look at me it was like there was just this desperation in his eyes and I felt I felt what he felt and I felt pity for this animal I tried to I kind of I guess in my little child's mind 
tried to understand what it was like to be hungry, you know, and how easy it was for me to have what I had. And so, and so I um, went in the store and I guess I was trying to shop for this dog. What does a dog eat from a convenience store? And so I, uh, I got some beef jerky and little things, little things that I could afford with the little bit of money I had. And there was a line in the store, so I remember I was kind of in there uh, for a little bit. And the dog was outside the door of the store by my bike when I went in. So I finally pay for this, these snacks and I walk outside and I, I notice that the dog is gone. And so I started walking around thinking, well, maybe I'll see him again. He couldn't have gone too far. And because I wasn't in there that long and he had been following me all day. I did as a kid, I guess, you know, applied human reasoning to this animal. And I was like, well, he probably real, probably thought I was, <laughs> probably thought that I was not coming back. And so he left. So this little weird bond I'd had with this animal, I kind of tossed it aside and said, well, if I see him again, I'll just hang on to the stuff. And I tied the little bag to my bicycle handle. As I said, the store wasn't far from my dad's shop, and I was walking back down the sidewalk, and I see a like a lump or a form laying on the sidewalk. And as I got closer, I I sort of panicked and freaked out a little bit and got yeah overwhelmed because it was it was the dog. Uh, laying there breathing shallowly and I ran over to him and dropped my bicycle and he had been hit by a car uh, and he was covered in blood and there were ants crawling in and out of all his little wounds and of course I'm 11 years old 12 years old I don't know what to do and I just sat there overwhelmed with grief honestly and cried out loud in the middle of town. And I can remember, I remember this, I remember these teenagers seeing me holding this dog with blood on me. And they they came up and said, is that your dog? Uh, can we help you? And I remember being so kind of hysterical about this. And the timing of it, even at that age, I remember thinking, how could this have happened? What, what are the odds this is going to happen? He's been with me all day. And when I decide to finally take an action to, to help this creature suffering his hunger, this happens. Really? Now? You know, it was just like this sort of flood of things just hitting me. It was anger confusion, pain, grief. And so the teenagers, I remember, I can remember this, uh, I guess in my mind's eye, because I was so young, she seems like an adult. But there's this blonde-headed girl and her, boy, and her boyfriend. And uh, they, she kind of knelt down or squatted down by me and was, I can feel her hand on my back when I think about it, like kind of patting me on the back. And telling me it would be okay and I can kind of see her talking to her boyfriend like she was the one I remember like what do we do what do we do and I can see him kind of shrugging shrugging like well I mean you know what can we do and I get I get him too and when I reflect on the memory I, I get him too you know like what are we supposed to do here so I they lay, they left eventually and I, I stayed in my I stayed in my grieving, I stayed in my weeping with this dog. And he died in my arms and I looked in his eyes and I saw his breathing stop and the light leave his eyes. 
and he just went limp and for me I guess even at that age oddly enough I had the wherewithal to know this was important to me this is long before I uh, had a medicine bag to keep items in that are important but I eventually I, I, I just have this re recollection of some adults coming and taking him from me it's kind of blurry to be honest but whatever happened next I I know I picked up this I know I picked up this piece of wood and wrote a, a day on it the date and I wrote the words dog died on it it was important to me enough at that age even to make a memorial a memento mori a word a word I didn't learn till later in my life but been attracted to this idea of memento mori ever since because I, I realized it, it it embraced so or ref, not embraced it encompassed so much of who I am and, and the experiences that I've had in my life uh, and how important it is to remember that one day I'll lose my breath one day I like these creatures will lose my breath and the light will leave my eyes and they'll dilate and whatever happens next whatever you believe I don't want to really get into that with what I want to talk about today but whatever this is whatever I am whatever you are this brain these lips these bones this blood the skin this breathing will stop in this particular form in this incarnation that I call or that my parents named Oren you know and that I identify with and there's some kind of strange comfort in that for me um, would I say there's no fear that's not 100% true there's always a little strange fear relation with anything that's mysterious but back to my original point I had my conversation with Mary and it got me thinking about the breath and it got me thinking about these two animals particular these two particular animals the blue heron and the dog that I now call woodchip all these years later and so I've been thinking about that for a few days and then Thursday morning uh, I was already having kind of a wild morning it was not very peaceful and so I've been kind of feeling a little melancholy honestly kind of some heavier thoughts than normal Heavy, heavier feelings honestly not even thoughts but I know these two creatures were definitely in my stirring around in my heart even all just can't even believe it honestly all these years later then still have these heavy have so much gravity around those two things anyway so I'm driving to work and uh, it's morning you know it's there's a lot of traffic and I'm in uh, some some fairly quick moving traffic in this I see in front of me a vehicle hit a really large tabby cat big orange tabby cat and so the vehicle got sh the the cat it struck the cat and kind of saw the brake lights hit on the car and then they drove off and I just immediately it was like this blue hair and and, and wood chip just flash in front of my eyes and I just stopped my vehicle because the cat was hurt there was no doubt about it I mean I could see it was hurt it was in the middle of this busy four lanes of traffic you know so I, I stopped my truck and put my flashers on and I 
I went to the middle of the street and, I, and some of the cars behind me, they, they stopped. One lane stopped so I could do what I was doing. And I went and picked the cat up and he was, he was bleeding. Blood was kind of pouring out of his mouth and there were cuts on his body. And, but he was still alive. But his eyes were huge and his were dilated and his breathing was labored. And he was desperate. You could feel it. I could feel it anyway. Clinging to knowing. Not like we know. But I just believe creatures feel it. I feel the 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 bleed. The edge. The coming of the cessation of breathing. And so I carried the creature to my vehicle, which was now off on the side of the, the road. And traffic picked back up and life kind of kicked back off. I, I remember having a sense of that when I was standing there on the side of the road. Life just, it's like a clock. It just starts back up, you know. It starts back up. Pedals go down. Hazard signals turn off and normal life just kicks on and we get back in the day and I just said I just can't do it today I can't get right back in. I got to take care of this creature And so I held them um, And then again that awareness of his breath kicked in And I was sharing the air with this dying creature Breathing is air we're in each other's sphere and so I drove, luckily, I guess, there's a, a, a veterinarian's office here in town. Um, Cypress, I believe is its name. And I just said, well, maybe they're open. Maybe I, can, maybe I can save this creature's life. Or maybe I can at least bring it to someone who can. And so I drove as fast as I could there and uh, walked in. They were open. I don't know the gentleman's name. I could describe him to you, but he was very kind and honest. And I appreciated that. I think he could probably tell that I had I was holding back some emotions to, so I could deal with this creature's situation. And so I walked in and I told him, I said, I have an injured animal, it's not mine. I told him what happened. He asked if I needed a towel and he said, if I can help it, do you want to keep it? If it doesn't belong to mine, I said, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the animal, I'll do whatever I need to do. He gave me a half and a towel, I told him there was a lot of blood. So I went and got the towel and I went out and I, I could tell that there was just, uh, the breathing was shallower. And the creature was, the cat, was, uh, looked like it was falling asleep. And its eyes would open. And I could feel it. So I wrapped it in the towel and carried it into the veterinarian's office. And as soon as he saw the cat, he, he, he said, oh, he knew. And he felt it. it. It was internal, whatever it was. It would... It was too much blood. I mean, and I knew. And I was looking at its eyes as he was examining it. And he looked at me and I looked back at the cat. And at that moment, I heard the sound. I've heard it before of, you know, a creature dying. Of a creature exhaling. And I saw the light leave the cat's eyes. And the vet, veterinarian checked, micro checked it for a microchip. There was no microchip and no collar. It's a healthy creature. It was not starving. Probably someone's pet, but I have no way to know whose. And he just looked at me, and he could tell. And I was doing my best because it's not. It's. I don't know this man, and his job is not to console me or deal with my feelings. But he looked at me and he said, you did all you could have done. And I think probably that's a fair statement. 
and uh, I appreciated his composure. And so, uh, within the seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, it took me to walk out of the vet's office and get to my vehicle. Every emotion tied to this heron and wood chip just lands squarely on me and I just wept you know I just wept and on one hand I guess I on reflection did I, I you could say I wept for the animal I did it was a living creature carried life in it just like I carry life in me just like you if you're listening to this carry life in you but I didn't just weep for that I just wept for our I wept oh, because damn it we just go too fast you know there's just I thought about it and I'm not I'm not casting stones on, on the people that hit the animal or demonizing them I don't know the right word I don't want it to sound like that because they're, they're just like everybody else I, I can only imagine no, I mean I can't imagine I can feel it you know that they were in a hurry they probably had kids to get to school or a job to get to and, and just the same fears that everybody's carrying I gotta get somewhere there's no time I can't deal with that right now oh someone else will handle it I mean we're just all filled with some version of that it's lurking around somewhere I say it all the time that one being's, one being's convenience or pleasure or goodwill comes at the expense of another's lack thereof. You know, everything is a, a giving and a taking. Everything is pulled from somewhere. Nothing new is entering the universe. There's no new energy, new objects. It's just one thing turning into another thing. So any abundance that one has definitely comes from somewhere and could potentially mean scarcity for another. And that sounds pretty, maybe that sounds dismal. And I've said those very words to people that have said, I can't think about that. If I thought about that, I'd be miserable. I don't have that same sentiment. It doesn't make me miserable. It just makes me aware. And more often than not, that awareness creates a gratitude. But I don't want to get too far off. I I just wept for the... Man, I wept for all of us, man. I mean, that's it. Just... And I'm not trying to make me sound like some special person. That's the thing. I'm just sharing what happened with me. Sometimes it's okay to have a good good cry for all of us. Not just us people, but for everybody on this dot. So easy to forget. I kind of think it's a little ironic. This morning you've probably heard all these pops and misses and the microphone that I use when I do these journals. It's so windy out here this morning. You know, and it's just breath. It's just breath moving across everything. It's just breath moving across the earth. Giving us life, man. And how lucky we are when we're in someone's sphere to be able to share their life, to share their air. And I just want so badly to not need to lose life to appreciate it. I don't want my prayer beads to always be the eye of some dying creature to remind me of the preciousness of my breath. And not just my breath, but your breath. The preciousness of your eyes. The preciousness of your touch. 
of your willingness to share your life with someone to spend your time with them every day is just a series of breaths and then there's these people in our lives who spend all their breaths with us or most of their breaths with us they're giving us their breaths It's, you know, three, three stories of three animals hit by vehicles. And I can't say that I've, I've never hit a creature. I've hit a rabbit in the middle of the night, a possum, an armadillo. And I just don't want to be that kind of human being that just thinks, oh, well, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be an oh well kind of guy. But I also want to cultivate a world where it's okay too for other people to take a minute. To take a minute, a moment. To reflect on what the hell we're all doing here. What are we doing here? It shouldn't just be about the acquisition of pleasures and comforts and trinkets and baubles and stepping squarely into a clock every single day. And I think there's people that know this. Long before we built all our machinations, long before we formed these systems that we live in, there are natural rhythms and when you sync up with them you feel it you know and that brings me right back to my conversation with Mary which I hope you'll enjoy when it comes out that just listening to your breathing feeling your breathing the rising and falling of your lungs even the flavor and texture of the air that's all getting inside of you it's affecting you on a cellular level it's connecting you to not just other creatures that are within your sphere but it's also just like out here at this park that I'm at it's also these trees and these plants we're 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 together. And without them, I can't breathe. And without me and you and all these other systems of life, they don't have life either. I guess I just want to encourage... Well, I guess I'm just journaling. <laughs> just journaling. It's for me. Maybe it's I'm sharing it. So I guess it, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for somebody out there. So many people I've talked to on the show talk about this. Julia Carroll spoke of it with, speaks of it with her Tea at Walden project. You know, I really believe in what she's doing with that. I believe in what she's saying, in the techniques that she's teaching. I really believe in what Mary's doing, which you'll hear about. What she's teaching children. What she's teaching children is something that I I, I love that because they don't have to discover it through pain. For me, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately because it's made me who I guess I am to whatever use that is for other people. Mine came through loss, through momentum mori. Remember, you too must die. Sounds morbid to some, but for me it was a door to... to awareness of the value of life. The uniqueness of it. I don't know. So... 
I guess I would just encourage anyone who's listening to this, me ramble, <laughs> with nothing written in front of me and knowing no full intentions of what's going to come out in these journals. I guess I, I hope that um, these stories are an encouragement in some way to tune into some different systems. And if you're looking for a system to tune into, just tune into your breath. And when you start to tune into your breath, think of it as life, not just a system or a meditation tool. Think of it as life. Find value in the life that's in your body. And then when you're sleeping with one of your children, if you have children, feel their breathing and breathe their air with them. When you're laying with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or just someone you love, a friend, just feel their life. And when you look in someone's eyes, look at the little the little movements, the opening and closing of the pupil, the fibers, the colors, just the way they dart around, the way they react. All of that's just life. It's the light in their eyes. The life that comes from their breath. Well wow.